Hello, welcome to today's conversation on Soccer Better about women officials. If you're new here, let me explain. When we think about a dictionary definition of soccer, we think soccer, a verb, the act of playing, supporting, managing, or researching the beautiful game. As an example, when we think analytically about the world and the beautiful game, we realize that there are many ways we can all soccer better. We're Liz and Laura Ellen. Between the two of us, we have way too many years of graduate education to be helpful. We decided to journey into the critical thinking and analytical side of all things soccer. Join us as we discover how we can all soccer better. Liz, welcome. Hi. It's episode one. Are you ready for this? We did it. We we found articles and we took notes. I have so many things written on the side. So if you hear this, guys, that's just my life. I know. We we really, I mean, I also have lots of papers printed with lots of notes. I'm really excited about this. Um, and I, so, so I think we should first kind of like take a step back and help folks um, kind of get into our headspace a little bit in a way that's uh, safe and not too crazy. Uh, you think they're ready? <laughs> I don't know. Hopefully. So, sure. so, Liz, I think you were the one that came up with Soccer Better, uh, or at so least thought of it. So didn't actually come up with Soccer Better. So Soccer Better comes from the Columbus crew, and one of their players, Iguain, was giving an interview, and they were talking to him about, you know, what the team was doing and what they needed to do, and he was just like, they need to soccer better. And it was kind of a joke that we were just like, yeah, soccer better. And then it's something that Josh has just always kind of said when he's like sad or upset at his team. He just looks at the screen. He's like, oh, guys, soccer better. And when you approached me about doing something um, more analytical and talking about how we could kind of change the soccer world or talk about changing the soccer world, I was like, oh, we could soccer better because I don't play, but I can do it through research. Yeah, exactly. And so I guess we can like give a little quick bio on each of us. So I am getting my PhD. And so all I think about is thinking analytically and thinking critically about the world around me and the research that I'm doing. And I am a huge soccer fan, Um, you know, go to games, watch it compulsively, read articles, right? So I wanted to find a way to kind of blend those two things, this, these skills that I'm learning in school, you know, researching things and, and reading articles and thinking about methods and, and how we do that. But then also saying, how can I use those skills to apply those to soccer, to the game of soccer, and then everything that happens around the game, right? It's just not the 90 minutes that happens on the field. There's right. so much more that goes into it. And so that um, was kind of my approach. Liz, what's your background that uh, you can sit and research all of this? So I am an attorney, which is delightful, but I am a boring attorney that does privacy and or <laughs> contracts. So I literally read rules and regulations all day long and figure out how to apply them to best practices. And the thought of adding more articles and more research to my plate was actually kind of delightful. I could read and take notes and write all day, every day. And I don't have a huge background in soccer. I definitely started as a fan and someone who just really enjoyed tailgate. But the more that I've started to go to soccer games and watch soccer games, all day, every day, all year, because there's so much more available. Um, I've become immersed not only in the community, but I really want to learn to analyze what's going on with the game and what's going on with the uh, the culture in general and just how can I make that better for everyone. Yeah, exactly. And so I think for the two of us, we sat down several months ago and we kind of said, okay, what could this look like? And Um, What are some topics that we are passionate about kind of out in the world, but then how do those topics apply within the context of of soccer culture and and the game? Um, And so so this is kind of where we've landed. Um, And so we'll talk about this a bit later, but we would love any topic ideas, any feedback from folks. I mean, I think we are very open to whatever 
people have for us and and kind of different ideas. And if you want to hop on a show with us and and talk about something that you have expertise in, we are more than happy to do that. If you want us to to sit down and dig into the research, we're happy to do that as well because it's something that both of us really enjoy. Um, So yeah, I'm just so excited to finally be getting started. I do want to give one disclaimer. I think that a lot of the topics that we're going to pick are things that we're very passionate about. I will try very hard not to curse. I am a natural cursor. I think that I do pretty well when I'm on Mongols and the full 90 and all of that. I'm not going to throw out any of the the really awful words, but especially with like women officials and right now all the stuff going on with the abortion legislation, you may get like that's a BS, but I'm going to say the words, guys. I just can't help it. I'm pretty passionate about some of this and things are getting real weird in this world. So I apologize now. Maybe this isn't what you want to listen with to with your kids, but maybe after you review it and determine, oh yeah, that was fine. You can let them listen to it with you the second time and you learn so much more. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I think really the, the purpose, at least from from our perspective is really, this is about starting a conversation. This is about moving a conversation forward. And certainly Liz and I have our own framework. We have our own own lens with which we view the world and view these issues. And certainly I think uh, just, you know, knowing Liz for a while now, right? Like I, we try and take a pretty holistic, uh, well-rounded perspective, but we certainly have our own perspective, right? And so I think this is about starting a dialogue. This is about having a conversation, but this is also about being honest and being critical about what's really happening out uh, kind of in the world uh, more broadly, but then also as it relates to soccer. And so, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Yeah, this is just really exciting. But also to say that this is just, this is our perspective. This is our take, but we want this to be a conversation. And and so we'll talk about, um, you know, what that conversation can look like. Okay, so we're both like we are so excited. Serious. We're both so giddy, <laughs> and we're both smiling from your ear, and we're like shuffling things. I know. And we're like, we're oh, just like, okay, I've got are it already. Ready? Like, yeah, we're we're real big nerds. Exactly. Great. Yes. Um. Okay. So we we have many topics that we want to kind of dig through over the course of of the next uh, several episodes, but the episode that we thought we would start with is uh, women officials in soccer which is super exciting um you know and again just just to be real clear and as kind of a disclaimer this is the two of us this is research that we have done this is not comprehensive in any way i'm sure we will forget things we will not cover everything but again this is about starting a conversation and this is about having a dialogue and so if we've forgotten things it was not intentional at all so please contact us please let us know um so that we can do better uh moving forward um so we can soccer better, right? right. Okay. And we can like have follow-up shows or whatever. Like if it gets to be that big, I will do a second show on anything. Exactly. So. Absolutely. Okay. So here's the thing. So we all know uh, that in the game of soccer, right, we have officials. We have the referees that as fans, we like to yell and scream and tell them that they don't do their job. Um which, you know, I am, I am the first person that, that does that. Um, and so, so, but then there's also this dynamic of not only just having men as officials, but then also having women as officials. Um, so Liz, why why don't you take us from here? So I think part of the, the conversation about women officials is a lot that sports in general are still very male dominated like you have some females involved in different aspects and i'm not going to say that they're not involved at all but like the owners and the uh, a lot of the officials for men and women's games and the people driving the conversation for a lot of this are males and a lot of the research um that we found and even one of the articles said it you know pretty clearly that all of the research that's done on what makes someone become a ref and stay a ref and how do they handle the stress of being a ref, it all centers around men, like almost exclusively. We there, uh, Laura Ellen found one article that addressed um, women referees, and that's kind of disappointing considering this is something that should be growing and it's 
it's just really not even in the the women's sports so you know women's basketball women's soccer um anything you still see mostly male referees and and why is that what's happening why can't we get these these cohorts of women um into into the game and and that power dynamic yeah and i think just one thing um from like a research methods perspective like i certainly want to recognize that because there are so few female officials in sports overall so not just thinking just about soccer but thinking about um you know the national football league thinking about the nba um you know there there aren't many women who are in these top professional roles and so from like a research methods perspective having such a small group um doesn't really allow you to do too much um you know and you only have this small set of perspectives but i think that you know I think there should be still should be more research on that. I don't think that that's like fully excused. Like certainly there are research projects that you aren't able to do with just such a small number because of just kind of statistical you know reasons for that. But um, at the same time, I think that is an opportunity just coming from a research perspective. That is an opportunity for researchers to then continue to advocate to have more women officials, to be able to understand what are the differences between having, you know, male officials and, you know, female officials, having um, teams of officials that have both men and women on them. Um, so anyway, so just, I just kind of want to put that out there that that I definitely understand that from like a research methods perspective, and I, and I don't want to like harp on any of the, the, the academic journals that, that we read, because they didn't include women, because I understand that. But at the same time, I think that provides an opportunity for researchers to, to advocate a bit more. And I think they can work with some different associations that are trying to push forward having more women in soccer. So like um, there's the referee organization that's trying to get women into the MLS and really foster that and the different things that they're doing to encourage women to get in there and stay there. There's South Africa who is doing a lot with saying, you know what, we have this this female ref, um, a, a Cajona. I don't know how to say her name. I'm I'm really sorry, but like she's proven that herself to be really good at at her job, and she's then paired up with academics to say we need to provide these opportunities, and this is where we're missing that. And South Africa has taken note and said, you know what, you're right. Um, we have someone who does it. We have academics. Like, now help us to build this. So this is an opportunity. It's not just us saying, well, you guys suck because you don't have enough for us. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so, and I and I think just, just a, an overarching disclaimer that um, in the world of sports and in the world uh, within which we are talking, there is this, certainly the acknowledgement of a gender binary here. So, um you know, I think uh, I speak for Liz and myself when I say that that we do not see gender as being a binary, um, but that unfortunately is just kind of like where we are. I think I would love to do an episode in a year talking about, uh, you know, non-gender conforming, you know, officials or trans officials or, you know, whatever that would look like. I think that would be amazing. And I hope that one day we're able to have that conversation Right if now, we only had to wait a year. That'd be great. But right now, people with too much <laughs> testosterone naturally, too much to talk, testosterone can't compete in women's sports. So you might you might be a little farther out. Yes. Year, okay. All right. Fair enough. Unfortunately, um, yes. Um, so just kind of a disclaimer about that. And I think kind of building on you know this issue that uh, there just isn't a ton out there. I think one of the things that that I really observed, and Liz, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, is this, it just seems to be a, a cycle, right? So there were several art, uh, like newspaper articles and things that we read where, um, you know, leadership from different, you know, referee organizations and from like soccer leagues would be talking about, well, like we just want to hire experienced officials. We just want like the top you know, referees that, that exist. And, and, you know, one of the articles, it was really fascinating. It was written by a woman who spent some time, uh, refereeing at youth levels and talking about how for most referees, you really have to start, you know, you're refereeing at the youth level and then work your way up through the levels to then become, um, an official at, 
you know, the professional levels, but there seem to be continual barriers for these women officials. And so, okay, we want the most experienced officials, but if women are experiencing these additional barriers from gaining that experience, then it then becomes like this bias that is baked into the system, that is baked into the institution against from hiring, you know, female referees. And so I think... Well, if you're never moving them up, like if your career is never advancing, even though you're required to meet the exact same standards of all of your peers, because they are, they're expected to run as fast, they're expected to run as far, they're expected to keep up, they're expect they go through the exact same training. There's nothing different for female refs. So if you're expected to do everything that your male cohorts are doing... And what you see is you don't get pushed on to that next level. You don't get to move from high school games to college games. Or maybe you make it to the college level, but they'll never let you go to the the pros. Like, how long are you going to stick around? And I think that that is something that, you know, women who are in corporate America can understand because it's not as prevalent now. Do you, but you still have... Um, those stories or those experiences where in some fields it's probably very prevalent that women do the exact same thing and meet all of those standards and still aren't allowed to move forward. So I think that that is one of the problems that need to be addressed is how are we advancing those referees? How are they being judged? What metrics are we using to push them or to to advance a referee? So one thing that the um, referee organization for the MLS is doing is they when they evaluate the referees they only get last names and i think that's a fine first step um however i would like to see it be even more neutral so you if you only have four women referees and you're evaluating even 20 people i bet you know those four girls last names and i don't want as a fan i don't want them to get any preferential treatment I do not want to see them picked because, oh, well, we're trying to advance this, the, their career so that we can get more women refs. So I would rather just see a random number generated for each evaluation and you, you look at how many complaints did they have um, from fans, from coaches, from players, because I'm sure that these things get reported. So how did that factor into it? What kind of game did they play? What were their scores on whatever their physical requirements are? And just have a random number generated for them each time they're evaluated. I don't want that number to say the same either because again, if you're trying to advance something, if you're trying to make it, if you're trying to get that information and get that bias, you can get it if you memorize enough information. So you can memorize those numbers. It should everyone has an implicit bias. It's the way the world works. Like you go somewhere, let's say I'm going to Germany. I'm like, oh man, everything is going to be bread and beer and I'm never gonna find a salad. That's an implicit bias. Maybe maybe that's a harmless one, except for, you know, probably not to a German who's like, man, we're, we're way better than that. And you are way better than that. If I go to Germany, I'm going to find plenty of salads. I'm going to be fine. But to get rid of those implicit bias, biases, you really need to do more than just say, okay, well, we're just going to take last names. Yeah, no, and I think you're absolutely right. And I think for me also, again, just kind of, you know, learning more about this and reading more about this, it's about providing opportunities, right? Like, it's not just about saying, okay, well, we want the most experienced officials, but it's saying, okay, we're recognizing that there are these implicit biases, that there are these institutional barriers to women officials. And so how can we think about those? And then how can we provide opportunities? And again, I'm, and I, and I, definitely agree with what you said we're not saying to provide preferential treatment what we're saying is hey let's figure out a way and a strategy to level the playing field um and i think we're kind of like creeping into solutions and so but what i want to talk about first i want to kind of mention some notable female soccer officials and there are a couple that kind of stand out um and one thing uh liz liz and i we worked on this outline together and uh liz has this as, as last bullet point and i i want to emphasize it first like the <laughs> fact that we even are like talking about these women like by their name like okay, yes, I'm a soccer fan. And yes, there are certainly officials that I like recognize their faces. And I'm sure if I like had, a, you know, multiple choice, a list of names, maybe I could pick out their name. I could not. Maybe, but nope. it's one of these things that, right? Like, because there are so few female soccer referees, 
they're so known by their name. And I just like, it's kind of, you know, and, and, and some of these interviews, you know, these, <laughs> these women, I mean, props to them for dealing with this, but these women are like, I just want to be anonymous. I want you to forget about the fact that I'm a woman. I want you to forget about the fact that I am here as a referee, that I'm just here doing my job. Um, but anyway, but we're going to, we're still going to name them because I think some of these women have been, you know, huge, um, in the fact that they have like broken so many barriers for other women coming behind them. And these women, for the most part, have been willing to talk about their experiences and try to work on solutions. So that's really important as well. Yeah. So I think one of the most notable, um, I think from an international perspective is, um, uh, Bibiana from Germany. And so she recently, um, became, uh, uh, an official in Bundesliga, which is really exciting. Um, and, uh, you know, she's had some very interesting, um, you know, experiences. So something that I find to be really cool, you know, so she is a police officer in Germany. And uh, in one of the articles, it said that she uh, has been kind of uh, put on a desk job because people just come up to her as she's working as a police officer to talk about um, calls that she has made. And when I read that, I was like, oh, I would totally do that. I would be like, oh, I think that's her. Wait, but but this happened this weekend and I feel really strongly about it and I feel like I have to say something. Laura Ellen, you're part of the problem. I know. I know. It's so bad. But but when I read it, I was like, oh, I can relate to that, right? Like, I, I definitely, you know, like, if I would see, like, one of my, you know, one of the, you know, coaches for the, a soccer team that I follow or one of the players, if I would see them kind of out in the world, I would totally go up to them and talk to them. Um, so, so anyway, so, Bibiana, do you have stuff that you want to talk about that you found interesting um, in, in learning more about her? I mean, so everything that she doesn't want us to talk about is what everyone knows. And I think my biggest takeaway from that and reading the research, because it just reinforced um, her experiences, is that people, when women experience um, like verbal abuse that is specific about their gender, every time someone goes, oh, well, it's just a boy being a boy. And I was like, oh, great. So we're still doing that. And I have a hard time not doing that sometimes. So like when you see a couple of like first graders or second graders and the boy pushes the girl and you're like, oh, like, it's okay, honey. He just likes you. That's what I heard growing up. Like, it's really hard for me to get past that step. But to think about someone doing that in, in a game and, you know, all of the experiences that she's had and some of the things that have been said to these female refs and people are like, oh, well, it's just boys being boys. No, it's disrespectful. Like they are in a position of authority. And if you wouldn't do it to their male counterpart, then don't do it to their female counterpart. These are referees. They are there. If you have a problem with their call, that's fine. If you want to get heated and like wave your arms around, like that's fine. You do that to everybody. But if you touch a ref, they should be allowed to give you a card and they shouldn't be pulled inside him and told, you know what, that was just boys being boys because that's BS. Yes. And at the same thing, like when there are attractive male refs and they're in charge of a girl's game, if they do something and it's like, oh, well, she's just flirting, she couldn't help herself. Give me a break. This is a position of authority and it should be treated as such. Oh, absolutely. And I think just one of the things that I found interesting in, in a couple of the articles that we read was really this idea of thinking about having, um, you know, men. So, so right, so we kind of said at the beginning, right, that there are so many male referees, even in, in women's soccer, right, right. Um, re, you know, officiating top uh, <clears throat> women's games. And... I think it, what was interesting is some, some of these articles tried to kind of like parse out differences between how men and women play soccer. And, um, you know, so I played soccer through, um, through high school. And so one of the, one of the things that it talked about was one article was like, well, you know, women's soccer is just softer. And I was like, you clearly have not watched top well, women's but soccer. Then, like there was another one that like women are just more vicious. And I was like, okay. But this whole thing was supposed to be about the refs, and I don't even know why you're bringing up who has more fouls. Like, I don't care who has 
more fouls in general. I want to know about the ref experience, which is what you were supposed to be investigating. <laughs> and you definitely, which is why, like, there are plenty of articles, like newspaper articles, interviews. There are plenty of the opinion pieces. There are plenty of those about female refs and male refs and differences and da da da. But that's why I'm really interested in seeing an uptick in some of the research into refs and female refs at a scholarly level because I would hope that they would actually investigate the pieces of refereeing that matter. And it's not always how hard or how mean are the players you're watching because that's all over the board, all over the place, different leagues, different genders. Like it's just going to matter every time. But the experiences of the refs are are very similar, and um, I would just like to see that explored more. Yeah, and I think one of the things, um, and I'm trying to find the article here, and I don't think I'm finding it. Um, but one of the things that I found interesting in one of the articles was talking about interactions between male players and female officials, male, male players and male officials, and then female players, male officials, females, and just thinking about how pl- from a player perspective, men and women interact differently with players. Um, you know, one of the, the observations that the article made, and again, this was a newspaper article, this wasn't a research article, which I think that's where you know, Liz, you're absolutely right. There needs to be more empirical data. There needs to be more actual research that is looking at games, um, you know, and doing kind of observations of games and looking at how players are interacting with the officials. Um, Because one of the things was uh, that this article was saying, well, men tend to kind of like be really emotional during the game and kind of like get up in refs faces and um, be tend to be more like combative with with you know the officials during the game women tend to kind of hold it in a little bit more and you know and I still and, and again like these are like gross general generalizations right like these are just sure. like you know kind of from an overarching perspective but but I think at the same time like I think that's like touching on something that I think is really interesting is thinking about what are referee experiences with different types of players. And I think especially when we think about, you know, Bibiana, for example. So she is now um, a top referee in Bundesliga, which is the top soccer league in Germany, which I think gives her such an incredible perspective and such an incredible vantage point also having officiated many women's games as well. And so um, I don't know. I think there are just like many, many opportunities for additional research. Um, Liz, I would love for you to talk about what's happening in South Africa because I think there's just like so much incredible work happening there. Is it because you want me to butcher her name again and you don't want to do it? Oh, I- are you are you throwing me <laughs> under the bus? No, it's fine. not at all. All right. We, so- need to, we need to get pronunciation guides before we do That's these probably moving true. forward. So, um... <laughs> I'm going to say it, and if I'm wrong, I'm very sorry, and please feel free to correct me. Akona Makalima from South Africa is um, the referee that uh, I've that we found in some of our articles. And like I said, the things that she's doing is just amazing. She's really taken the time to, um, to start at the bottom, to really learn the sport, and to make really good calls improve herself and move up in the field so once she started moving up in in the field she started exploring what would make it easier for other women to succeed with her and she got involved you know people from the government and she got involved with academics and she's really started researching how do we get not only more women involved but how do we ensure their success not just like Let's see how much spaghetti we can throw at the wall. And if, you know, a couple pieces stick, that's great. But really producing something of quality because she takes such pride in her work. And I was really excited um, to read about how much progress that that she's had. Yeah, and I think one of the things that was just so powerful about her story for me and and about several of these other stories, although I think um, in the the articles that we found, um, there was, they talked about this a little bit less, but this really this idea of, hey, I've been successful at this. I've made it to the top flight um, in South African um, soccer. How can I support and bring up other women behind me? Um, And, you know, how can I develop 
um, the next generation of female officials in this game and how can like what can I do and how can I leverage my power and experience and knowledge to really not only continue to be the best official that I can be but then also to support other people and I think that was just like really powerful to me just thinking about how um, just this as an example of like women supporting other women and women supporting the bettering of the field. Well, and she has such a passion for sports. Like she loves sports. She thinks that girls should be involved in sports because they can really change their confidence and how they hold themselves and how they present themselves and teach them composure and, you know, teamwork and all of those things. And she, she says, she's like, I came from a really terrible background. She's like, and just because you're too old to play the sport doesn't mean that you're too old to get involved in the sport. And she wants to bring in women who maybe have never played soccer, but, you know, maybe they're very physical and they're interested in this rough thing. And she's about it. She's taking those people and saying sports can change your life. And I think that's very true. And I think it's especially true, and I'm totally biased because soccer is the one sport that I've really gotten involved in as a holistic thing. But, like, soccer is everywhere. It can take you so many places. And there are so many opportunities because it it goes across nationalities. It goes across countries. It goes across so many other things. Um, and she really wants to open up those opportunities just because she thinks sports can be such a great platform for women. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we've kind of given two examples um, from other countries of kind of current day, you know, what's happening in Germany, what's happening in South Africa. And I think if we think uh, a little bit more about what's happening in the United States and what's happening in MLS, things aren't quite as positive uh, currently uh, for female officials. I didn't realize that they used to be. I didn't either at all. I had no idea. So the the organization I keep talking about is the Professional Referee Organization. Um, And it's um, run by Peter Walton. And he's really trying to, to change things. I did not realize that when MLS started, they had women as center refs and it was just like sure they've done all the things they've passed all the tests they've run their dashes and they can do it so sandra hunt nancy lay and carrie seats were center refs when mls got started and then it stopped in like (laughs) in like 2000 the last female center ref um was in a game and then no one has come up behind that and I am just I'm blown away at where we failed and maybe it's just like soccer got a really slow start and we had maybe too many refs at first that's not the case anymore now we don't have enough refs but maybe we didn't foster that kind of program to you know build yourself from self from the bottom up seeing you know, women being center refs in MLS did not lead to seeing women as refs in high school or college games in general that didn't correlate. So I'm not sure where we just completely failed, in my opinion. I don't know what happened. Those people should have inspired confidence in other women. They should have inspired confidence in the people in charge to have women involved as refs. And no. Yeah. I don't know. I'm flattered. <laughs> no, it, 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 it's just like it's such an interesting thing. So, you know, PRO, which is, you know, the, the referee organization in the United States, um, you know, I – you know, and, and the interview that, that we read, you know, he was like, yeah, like, we're trying to make changes, and these are kind of the things that we're doing, but at the same time, like, I read it, and I was like, are you really trying, though, or are you saying you're trying? And, you know, and granted, sure, if there are zero women, or if there are very few women even in the system, right, like, you, you have to, like, meet the requirements, you have to meet the you know, license requirements in order to officiate in the MLS. But at the same time, I'm like, I I don't know, like, is it really that difficult? Are there really women who aren't interested or aren't capable? I don't, I mean, the capability part, I think is, I find that not true. I'm going to go back to this another time when we don't have enough information. So there are some stats given in this newspaper article, but the beginning stat is, we used to have between 5 and 10% of women refs. Boo. 5% and 10% are very different numbers. Could you tell me which it is? There have to be rosters, right? 
did you not feel like counting? Were you just <laughs> estimating? Where did you get your information from? I am not satisfied. And they're like, and now we have 20%. So I don't know if I trust you that that number is accurate. Maybe it is. If it is, that's like a 100% increase, right? 10%. We'll yeah. just go from to 10%. Like the 10% to 20%. That's great. Like we've doubled our percentage. But I don't trust any of the numbers because you don't know the difference between 5% and 10% and apparently didn't want to take the time to count. Yeah. Like, I just... So, again, I need more information. And, guys, I understand. I could have also gone back and looked at rosters and counted, but I wasn't going to. I feel like it was this person's job because they decided to write the article. I just want to talk about how they failed me. So, <laughs> get over it. Yeah, well, and I think, like, one of these other things, and, and I think this is true not just in the MLS, but kind of... Uh, more broadly is that officiating is a part-time job for the most part right so you know you know I already mentioned how Bibiana is a police officer when she's not um, you know when she's not officiating Um, you know I think I forget which um, MLS ref it was but um, you know worked for like an ad it was a manager at at an ad agency or, or a marketing agency and so I think, like, that's something, too, right? Like, I think, and this gets into kind of a whole other situation and kind of a whole other conversation here, but it is, it's not only is it, not only are there so many barriers to kind of getting the experience and jumping through all the hoops that are required in order to um, become a a top official and a top referee, but it's also like a place of like extreme privilege that you have a job that's flexible enough that allows you to travel for games, um, you know, and because of kind of the shortages that exist for officials in the United States, like officials are traveling all over the place every single weekend, sometimes during the week to officiate these games. And so not only is there kind of a gender bias, but there's also um, a bias towards people who have flexible incomes or who have flexible jobs and that doesn't work for everyone and also like flexible lives right and so you know even though you know we like to think that men are taking and and fathers are taking a more active role and, and I think they are in raising their children oftentimes women are still the ones who are responsible and mothers are still the ones who are responsible for being that primary caregiver and so I think there are also these barriers for that as well. Yeah, and I mean, sometimes, especially when you have a newborn, the mother is obviously the person who has to take on that role. Like, the men just, we haven't found a way to transfer lactation to you guys yet. We'll work on it. But so far, (laughs) um, if you decide to go that route, you're kind of going to be in that role. Yeah, I just, I don't know. It is a place of privilege, and I think that's a really good thing to point out that we're talking about so many barriers for so many people in general to to get up to move to have the experience and and where are we creating that i think um a lot of the articles talked about the fact that uh there's a lack of community or mentorship and they they didn't just focus on women um but it did come up more when they were talking about women refs and why they talked about why they left and they said you know we didn't feel like we were part of the community But I feel like that might be a way that we lose some of our refs in general because if you can't travel all of the time or if you're you're seeing less games um, and you have someone that you were close with, like if you both start off at the same time and you have someone you're close with, if they move up and you don't, how are we fostering you guys to stay in connection with each other because you have that kind of background together? So whether or not you're a man or a woman, like whoever you've decided to to mentor with, whoever you've connected with, how are we making sure that that's still happening? And maybe we're really failing on that end, that we're not creating enough of a community for these people. And we're especially not creating enough of a community for women who are being told, oh, it's fine that the fans treat you differently. And it's fine that the coaches treat you differently. And it's certainly fine if the players treat you differently. Um, that we're really failing them on that end. Yeah. And I think I think you did an excellent job at, at transitioning us here because I, I want to talk a bit more about uh, proposed solutions. And so, okay. It's we've, like a paper, guys. We're on to the conclusion section. I know. We made it. Yay. Um, <laughs> 
But, you know, and I think we've, like, talked and we've mentioned several of these kind of throughout our conversation. Um, But you're right. So I think one of the things, um, one of the solutions or one of the strategies that is being used to really think about this is mentorship programs. Um, And I I want, Liz, I want to let you talk about what's happening in South Africa. One of the things I do want to mention, so... Uh, this article. And next time we're going to do a better job at, at acknowledging authors of these articles because I just have a pile of papers here and I can't find them. But um, yeah, we're going to, we'll give you guys a bibliography page. You don't have to read it, but <laughs> we have to acknowledge that yeah, we didn't our sources. do any of this work. We're just now giving our opinion on everybody else's work, whether or not we appreciate it to the full extent that we should. Exactly. Yes. Thank you. Um, but uh, one of the articles talked about, um, you know, the author's own experience, you know, refereeing um, at the youth level and just talking about how isolating it was to be the only female official and just how hard it was. And I think especially, you know, we've been primarily talking about uh, professional soccer, but what happens at the youth games and just how nasty some of the coaches and play- and uh, parents can be at the youth level and just, you know, it's hard enough as it is. Um, but then, you know, when you're the only female official, um, you know, that on your team or, or on that day. And, and I think, you know, I feel, you know, some kind of way, I think there can be camaraderie, you know, amongst officials, regardless of, you know, if they're male or female, but, um, you know, I do, I would imagine it could be like very lonely to, to be that, um, like only female official and to have parents just like reaming you out because they're like 12 year old, like got a foul called against them or something or didn't get a foul, you know? And I think when I read that, I was like, you know, you know, officials have feelings too. And I think I forget that sometimes, but, um, no, not you. (laughs) Um, but I think especially at the youth levels, I mean, I think when it gets to the professional levels, I have seen some calls that have been very, very poor, uh, in my opinion. But, um, again, but I think thinking at the youth levels, right, like that's a bit of a different story. Um, so I think there is this kind of, loss of a sense of community but i know people are doing something to fix that um and liz i would love for you to talk about the mentorship programs that are happening so yeah i mean there are just a number of programs that are going on kind of all over the place to talk about finding women who are refs and who are you know established refs and whatever you know level that they're at but working with women who either want to be refs or have just started to make sure that they have someone to talk to. I think what you said, Laurel, and about stuff at the youth level, it's, it's really key because everyone has to start there. And at the youth level, you don't have the buffer of, oh, there's a bunch of noise and there's drummers and I've been doing this for a while. And so I can just blow off the fact that, um, that you're screaming at me and that you're in my face. Also at the youth level, you don't have anyone um, to escort you off the field when they feel like the fans are getting out of control. And you definitely have that buffer as you, as you progress. So telling someone that it's going to be okay, it's going to get better. You're going to be able to at least tune out the fans and the parents because you know that what matters is Um, what's going on on your field, which involves your other refs and involves the players and it involves the coaches. So a coach can get riled up during a game, but if at the end of the game, they're like, you know, that was a good game. Thanks. You know, and they shake your hand and it's, it's done and it's in the past. I think you can, you don't have, you don't take away the same feeling of animosity as you do with a parent who will yell at you with their child in front of them. And then if they happen to find you by yourself as you're walking to the car, they're going to continue that conversation very loudly. And you you leave with a sense of animosity. So there are a lot of programs going on. And I don't have the specifics in front of me, guys. I do, but there's 100 pages of it. So <laughs> we're going to fail. I'm going to fail you again. But there are a lot of things going on. But I think that something that I was concerned about was and I, I understand it, but I don't necessarily like it, is that they were really focused on, we need to find women to mentor women. And I get it. Like, I understand where that's coming from, that you want that camaraderie. But 
I think there are so many other levels that you can connect with someone on. Like, oh, we came from the same part of the Midwest and our families are very similar. And if whether or not you're a girl or you're a female, if I can connect with you on those things and I can have a 20-minute conversation twice a week with you about my family and you get it because your family is the same, then I have someone that I can rely on emotionally because you have the same you have enough of the same background as me that I feel like you understand my emotions and you can walk me through when I'm not able to walk through what I'm feeling like where I'm not able to process it so I think that that is something that I'm worried that we're going to fail on because if you hook up a girl or I'm sorry a woman referee from the south and you say okay well we found another woman referee she's from Canada (laughs) you guys are going to be mentor and mentee I don't know that you have the same, you didn't grow up with the exact same uh, relationships to your family. You didn't grow up with the same references to culture. You didn't grow up with all of these things to connect you. I don't know that you're really fostering a good mentorship program there. I think it should be a lot more focused on providing these referees with opportunities to talk to each other and maybe to find their own mentor and mentee. I can see some people like in the Steel Army, I'm like, oh man, that really reminds me of when I first started watching soccer. They look confused. You know, they they don't feel confident because they don't know a lot about soccer. And I don't care who you are. I'm going to come up and talk to you and be like, hey, how's it going? Don't know about soccer? That's fine. Neither do I. And now they let me do a show. This is going to be great. And we're going to be friends. So whatever reason they're there for, if they're new to the city because they want to meet new friends or their significant other likes to come to soccer games and they like to spend that time with that person, like whatever it is. I think there are many more ways to create that mentor-mentee relationship. And I'm really concerned on the harping on, we need women to mentor women. It is great if you can have that double connection, but I'm concerned. Yeah, and I think just uh, briefly, and I guess we should have said this at the beginning. So uh, Liz and I are part of... um, the Steel Army, which is the supporters group for the Pittsburgh Riverhounds, which uh, they play in the second division uh, of soccer in the in the United States in the USL, um, and we are also uh, connected with uh, Mongols, which is a podcast that covers uh, the Pittsburgh Riverhounds, which is how we both kind of got into podcasting and and where this is coming out of. So when we refer to those kinds of things, that's that's what we're referring to. And I think on the on the mentorship piece, I mean, I think about mentors that I've had, um, you know, kind of in my life professionally and personally. And I think I've had really excellent male mentors. I've had really excellent female mentors too. And I think um, if you can find a good mentor, you know, and and I think that's something that that these articles didn't talk a lot about either. But how are these programs developing and supporting the mentors themselves? Are they giving the mentors the skills and tools that they need in order to have an effective mentoring relationship? Because it's a lot of work to be a mentor and there's a lot that goes into it. And so I think, um, you know, to your point, it's not just about okay, you know, you're both women, so you must get along or something like you must inherently have some connection that you can get along because I I think that's unrealistic. But how can we do a better job of preparing mentors? How can we do a better job of preparing mentees to really be prepared to be successful in that mentoring relationship? And I think this certainly goes beyond soccer and goes beyond officiating and refereeing but um you know i i think i think that's just like an important thing to think about that that you know at least in these examples that you know we read about uh you know we didn't have a lot of um information something about. that i found interesting from one of them was and you're right maybe we're not helping develop um the right people so just because you want to be a ref and we have a lack of ref doesn't mean we should let you be a ref. Maybe you're not going to succeed here. And one of the articles specifically talked about taking different um, analytical tests to find out if you're generally optimistic or if you're pessimistic and how you perceived different uh, like physical violence or um, verbal violence that was directed at you when you were being a ref and, and how you cope with it and how you work through it and how it affected you know, you're moving forward in your career and it has a huge effect. 
um, whether you are generally pessimistic or optimistic on these on these scales that they used. And I know that that's kind of optimistic and pessimistic are a little bit of a softer science, but that doesn't mean that it should be completely discounted. So if we are not only just, we can't just develop these refs and say, okay, do you know the rules? Can you run? All right, go do it. If we're not providing this other support, and this gets into something that I will harp on all day, every day, everyone needs some kind of therapy. You just do. Life is hard. (laughs) If you are in a field where people yell at you on the regular, you deserve extra therapy. You deserve it for free. You deserve it to be part of your everyday life. So you should just be able to like, oh, it's Tuesday. I get 10 minutes with this person and I just go in and I talk. And I'm like, you know what? I'm having a really hard time working through this statement that someone said. And you you deserve to be able to talk to that person and help them help you work through it. So maybe that's part of what we need to include in this is some of that soft science, some of the psychology behind how do we make sure that you're going to succeed in this role? And maybe like if it might not be the role for you and we have to acknowledge that, but if we provide that extra support, like if we provide them with some of the stuff, it just, it increases your ability to have a good ref. And I think it increases your ability to have a program where people feel supported so they don't leave, especially women who are leaving you know, in droves because they're not being promoted. They don't feel a sense of community. And not only are they being told, don't worry, it's just something boys do, but they're living in the good old boys world. Um, I think that they deserve that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So Liz, you talked a bit about, um, you know, um, promotion. Well, you talked about evaluations and strategies that we can think about Um, or that we should be considering for, um, reducing implicit bias in, in evaluation processes. Um, I'd love to hear any other thoughts that you have about that. Yeah. I mean, they're just general things. It's something that's come up, um, with me as an attorney working with a group of attorneys to try and reduce the implicit biases that happen in the courtroom. So seeing the different things that they've suggested there and the different um, reports that have come out, even about grading of papers. So grading a paper with a male name versus a female name, grading a paper with an ethnic name versus a Caucasian name. Like it's astounding how prevalent it is and, and, and how much you don't under, you don't realize it. I'm sure that Okay, I know that I say a thousand things a day because I think that I'm funny and 90% of the time I'm making a joke about it. Like when I say to Josh, I need you, that's my husband, I need you to take out the trash because that's a man's job and I made dinner because that's the girl's job. Like I make those jokes, but I'm sure there are things that I'm doing where I'm actually expressing a bias and we really need to to help with people find those biases and acknowledge them and say, oh, I didn't realize it. And we don't need to yell at people. I think that's another problem that a lot of people have. So I love that so many people identify as a feminist. However, if you are a feminist who yells at me, you're not going to get very far. I am going to tell you to go make me a sandwich because you made me (laughs) angry. (laughs) And it's not productive for anybody. So we really need to work on how do we turn those into conversations and make it personal to you. Um, An example that I really like to use is you kick like a girl. It is something that people have said for generations. It's been said all over the place. And um, the Steel Army specifically has worked really hard not to say you kick like a girl anymore. And when someone does say you kick like a girl... I make it a point to go up and say, hey, can you please just not say that? And they're like, oh, seriously? Like, you're offended by everything. And I get it because every day we see everybody offended by everything. And and seriously, anyone can be offended by everything. It's true. It could happen. But this is something that we really need to address. And so um, in this, in a couple of instances, I've been able to say, do you have children? Yeah. Are they girls? Yeah okay, how do they kick? Oh, light bulb. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is something that we need to address. And if you can just walk them through why it matters to you and why it should matter to them, you're going to get further. So I think that the things that we can do to 
acknowledge that we probably have biases. No matter how good of a person you are, there are things that you don't know. There are things that you've grown up hearing and phrases you've used that you don't realize how harmful they can be. And But if you're willing to learn, then I think we're going to get a lot farther. So that's, I would just like to see that come across in, in the training. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I, I 100% agree with you. And I think um, what the, the final solution that we have listed here, and I'm sure there are so many more solutions that we have not... And we even... want to hear what you think they are. Exactly. And if you want us to research them. Yes, 100%. Um, but I think just being diligent about the repercussions for comments that people make towards these female officials. And there have been several examples, I think, um, at least one of the... the ones that uh, came out in, I think it was a New York Times article about uh, Bibiana, is that some player in Bundesliga, uh, you know, made some sexist comment toward her. And so he was, this player was fined $25,000 and banned for three games. And then she added the stipulation that he had to um, officiate, he had to be a referee for like a girls, like a youth girls soccer game. Um, you know, which I thought was a creative way to kind of help him. Are there, are there refs usually involved in like personal? I don't personal... know. I wasn't sure like how, I mean. Maybe it's different in Bundesliga. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but I was just like, oh, that's interesting. And I, and I think one of the things that, um, so right, and, and we've talked about this, right? There are like the individual actions of players and coaches and, you know, other officials or, you know, whatever that may be. And I think those individual actions need to be addressed. I think what we've also hopefully highlighted throughout our conversation today is that there's also these institutional biases and there's these institutional um, uh I can't think of the word that I'm looking for, but there's these inequalities. Yeah. Yes. Inequities um, that happen because of a person's gender. And I think that isn't okay. And I think not only do we need to be diligent about addressing what's happening at the individual level, but I think we also need to be diligent about what's happening at the institutional level. So whether that's the MLS figuring out a way to get, uh, you know, to to bring someone through the ranks so that, hey, not all the center officials for all the MLS games are all men, but how can we get a woman in there and how can we diversify things? Or if it's, um, you know, something for pro which is you know the the referee association to figure out a way for to do a better job right like 20 percent yippee but that's still 20 percent right like that's real that's really not great so i think um at, at least for me like that's how i've been thinking about this and as i've been reading and and preparing for a conversation you know it's it's not just the individual behavior but it's also the institutional behavior and let me be very clear. I want this to be a fair system. So if if there's a female ref and she is terrible, then I don't want her to move up. I don't want us to move up. And I think that maybe this is um, why people get their, you know, pennies in a twist and they get all upset and they, you know, pull their boxers up their butt. I was trying to think of something terrible, <laughs> but I really couldn't. So that's what we're going with. But this is why people get all like riled up because they're like oh well you can't just force it on us and it's like you are not wrong but can we just make it can we make it fair can we make sure that you don't know how who you're ranking can we make sure that when you know pro is going around and watching all of these games that you know they're making their little check marks but they're not the ones who then decide if you get to go to the next level or if you have to go back a step because you didn't perform very well. We need some, we need it to be removed from that person who watched the game because, I mean, even if I watch the game, do you know what I mean? And I can watch all males. Do you know what I mean? And if I if I'm making the check marks, and then two weeks later I'm like, okay, I have all this information, and I'm looking at, let's say I'm looking at three different games for for this ref, and I'm like, oh yeah, but I remember my game, and his shoes were real ugly, and so I want him to be relegated because you know he didn't match properly. I don't think his outfit was like whatever it was or he called too many he called too many fouls he let you know there were way too many penalty kicks and I hate penalty kicks and so I don't want that him to be moved forward in fact I think he should be moved back so that he learns not to do that I'm not a good person to judge that because I've seen that person personally we need person personally (laughs) wow 
Um, but we need to take it a step back. So if you're the person who goes around and evaluates all of these refs and you're marking them down, yes, they wore their uniform correctly because you have to wear your uniform correctly. Yes, they um, called this many fouls and I thought they were correct. I, these ones were questionable for me. You know, whatever, I don't know what the, the statistics are that they, they mark down, but whatever they're marking down, then that should go into, you know, software or it should be taken by someone else and put into a discrete spreadsheet and it says okay here are the people who have done x number of games which i assume is how they decide if they're going to be evaluated for promotion to the next um, level and do they have they earned it if they haven't earned it okay next question do they stay here and if there's some really egregious stuff going on do we have to take them a step back yeah also like as a side note I think that we really need to um, help soccer better by making the rules more consistent across high school, college, and pro because I get very confused and I don't understand things when there are some really like institutional things that are different. So I think that that's uh, maybe, I mean, it's definitely another conversation, but that's something that I wonder how they take that into consideration when you're taking those statistics down for these different people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Liz, we have covered so much and I think this conversation went way longer than we thought it was or was going to. Um, but I think we talked about a lot and I think we had a really great conversation. Uh, so Liz, can you take us out? Thanks to our sponsor, Golden Gold Press, the best choice for you to get custom shirts, hats, mugs, and other items for your organization or just because. Check out their amazing products at goldengoldpress.com. We'd also like to thank Roughneck Scarves for their support. Roughneck Scarves is the official scarf supplier to the MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. As always, a big shout out to our host, the Beautiful Game Network. BGN covers teams across the MLS, USL, and EPL. Check out their podcast and written content at bgn.fm. Head over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you may listen to your podcast and subscribe to our show. We'd also love it if you'd leave us a review. You can follow us on Twitter and let us know what you think about the show, about our voices, about our content. You can let us know all kinds of things. We're at BGN Soccer Better. Thanks for listening, and we can't wait to work with you to make everyone soccer better. Soccer Better.